We'll be in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 15. Um, I've decided not to take the whole passage. Uh, it runs through to verse 46 if I took the whole narrative of Lazarus. So I'm going to break it up into two messages so that we can be a little bit more, uh, look at things a little more closely as to some of the things that are said and um, how they do uh, um, uh, apply to our own lives. So in John chapter 11, verses 1 through 15, Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, of the town uh, town of Mary and her, her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days till still in the same place where he was. Then after that saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go, and that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for the reading of your word this afternoon. Pray, Lord, that you will reveal such things to us that we may understand more of what it meant for Jesus not only to know this family, but also to go and to help them at the most appropriate time, and that it might be to the glory of God. Father, we are reminded of the affairs of our own lives and families, and how, Lord, you are working behind the scenes to reveal yourselves to us and to them that we also may believe and trust in the Lord Jesus as our Savior. And so we praise you and give thanks to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, I want to look at this passage along the theme here this afternoon, but that God might be glorified. Um, of course, I did leave out a word there in my title in the bulletin. Sorry about that. You can put it in. 
it should say that God should be glorified but uh, we find that Jesus had a purpose of course in the things that he was doing all along in his ministry Um, this is perhaps one of the greatest sign miracles that Jesus did before he went to the cross the death of Lazarus was entirely preventable in the works of God yet Jesus deliberately delayed his visit to Bethany until his friend died we really are not told a great deal about the life of Lazarus except that he was beloved of the Lord even as Mary and Martha were loved of the Lord such love he felt for these beloved friends which meant that they were close to Jesus and true followers as his disciples. They lived in the town of Bethany, and Mary, she that anointed the feet of Jesus, was his sister. Perhaps they had shared many meals together and talked about the ministry of preaching and of baptisms in view of the kingdom of God. But now tragedy had come to their home and family, and Jesus was absent. Today, as we like to read this narrative and view the circumstances that brought about Jesus uh, to tears in this whole affair, and also stirred up such emotions that perhaps it startled memory, many in relationship to the raising of Lazarus from the dead. So we'd like to look at this, the first part of it today, and then uh, next week I'll be looking at the second part of it um, as we try to take in the whole narrative of the raising of Lazarus. Three areas that we'd like to look at. First of all, Mary and Martha send word to Jesus, he whom thou lovest is sick. Um, And of course, um, Jesus did have a close relationship with the family of um, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they being a family that was closely knit together. And Jesus uh, no doubt went there and talked to them and had many meals with them and fellowship with them, as well as the disciples perhaps. And uh, we find that she makes this appeal to Christ. You might even say that this was somewhat of a prayer that she would make to the Lord, um, asking him to come uh, and uh, to do something for, for Lazarus because he was loved of the Lord. Secondly, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified. This seems to be the greater purpose of this, this whole narrative uh, in relationship to the raising of Lazarus. As Jesus did not do his miracles frivolously, Jesus did not do miracles just because people were sick, or just because people were dead, or just because he could do them. He did them that he might show that he was truly the Son of God, the Messiah that had come into the world, and that the kingdom of God, as the prophets said, was at hand, and that they should repent and turn to the Lord and realize of the greatness of his coming. And so this, this was uh, truly uh, the purpose of God was in all of this. 
And then thirdly, he says, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Of course, the disciples thought that Jesus simply meant that he was asleep, that he needed to be roused. Um, and uh, But that was not the case. Uh, then Jesus turns around and tells them, No, Lazarus is truly dead. And now I am going to go unto him and wake him. And did they understand the true extent of what he was saying? Perhaps not. Nor perhaps did they understand the true reason why he delayed four days before he went back to uh, Bethany. And you may remember that um, at the end of chapter 10, um, he left Jerusalem to go unto Perea, which was the same region where John the Baptist began his ministry and was preaching, and where Jesus himself began his public ministry. And so he had uh, kind of secluded himself in a more remote area for a time. And now he receives word to come back because this particular tragedy had taken place among a family that he loved. And so we're going to look at this a little more closely. So let us begin by uh, looking at the first of these thoughts here. Mary and Martha send word to Jesus, He whom thou lovest is sick. God's love is of the highest order. Of course, we know that. But there are two words employed here in this passage for love. Uh, the first word that is employed is the word phileo, which means simply brotherly love or family type love. Um, the second word which is employed for love in this passage is the word agapeo. We think of the word agape, and you may have heard that word in relation to the love of God. And the word agapeo is a much more different word. And it is the kind of love that Jesus has for those that are truly his own. As in John chapter 10, he talks about his sheep and how that he loves them, and he knows them, and they follow him. Well, this close relationship that he had with Mary and Martha and Lazarus were both of those things. They were both a phileo love, a real kind of a family and friendship love, and they were moreover and above the highest kind of love, that love which is of God. <coughs> That love, which takes on a higher moral order than we ourselves are able to love. Because we cannot do it of ourselves. And so uh, we find here in verses 1 through 3, Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, of the town uh, of Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha, it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother, Lazarus, was sick. So we see here that they are all related. In verse 3, Therefore his sister sent him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. And so there was a, a very strong love in this family a love that um, they had for him and a much higher love that Jesus had for them. And so God 
God truly is love. Um, we read in 1 John 2, 5, But whosoever keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. My point being here is that um, in this family relationship um, and this love being demonstrated as it was is one very similar that God has for us too. We have to remember that uh, even though this is before the cross, these three were no doubt very ardent and serious followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We would call them Christians if they were after the cross. Before the cross, they are Old Testament saints, but they are walking in faith. And they believe that they have encountered the Messiah, and they believe that he came as the true Son of God. And they are appealing to him to come and to heal their brother Lazarus. Because of their love for him, they make such a great appeal, appeal to them. So it is true that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Even so, his love would be demonstrated. The passage in John 3.16 uses the same word, agapeo, the exact same word, for God so loved the world. And so it's interesting to note when we see these kinds of, of close uh, word usages in the Bible. In the second usage, the greater love of God is shown as it is also in John 3.16. The word agapeo, there being used, and the second word for love in this passage is also agapeo. And so we find that this is, the, this is the great love of God demonstrated toward his people. A.W. Pink quotes Bishop Ryle concerning this account. This, was, this is what he says. Let it be noticed that the presence of God's elect children is the one thing which makes towns and countries famous in God's sight. The village of Martha and Mary is noticed, while Memphis and Thebes in Egypt is not named in the New Testament. You see, there were many great cities and countries around uh, this area of the world. But the ones that are mentioned which are most significant are the ones where believers dwelt and where they demonstrated the love of God because of their true faith and walk in Christ. And of course, uh, we might then want to say this. How are we known in our own towns? Are we being a good representative of the Lord Jesus in our towns because of our faith being known? And so we must consider how as Christians we make known the places where we live. Are we known for being followers of Christ? Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. And we read that in verses 5 and 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. 
When it heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Now, I suppose, you know, it, it would sound kind of um, unusual that if Jesus loved them so greatly, why did he delay his coming to tend to this one that he loved so much? To tend to Lazarus, who was sick. We aren't told what sickness he had. We aren't uh, given any kind of indication whether it was a sickness unto uh, a mild sickness or a serious sickness. We aren't told any of the details of his sickness. Only that because of his sickness, he eventually would die. And it seemed to be quite urgent because Mary and Martha made this very strong appeal to the Lord. Um, a loving appeal. A loving appeal. Uh, not a demanding appeal, but a loving appeal. One that we might make ourselves. If we had a family member that was sick, we would say, The Lord loves us. He knows us as his children. He wants the best for us. And that we might pray ardently to the Lord and ask the Lord to, to heal or to raise up such a loved one as might be a part of our own family. And so um, when Lazarus took sick, the Lord was apparently on the east side of the Jordan River, as I said, in Perea, where the Baptist began his public ministry and where Jesus himself uh, began his public ministry. Uh, the sisters, of course, they sent word to, to uh, Jesus immediately concerning Lazarus, and um, there was something perhaps very touching about the way that they stated their case or presented their case. They appealed to his love for their brother as a special argument why he should come and help. He whom thou lovest is sick. You see, it is a very, a, a very personal and a very loving appeal. Uh, Jesus, uh, the one that you love, who is our brother, he is sick. And it's like saying, will you come, Jesus, and heal him? Will you come at this very critical moment? And so um, um, I'd just like to kind of point out the fact that our prayers often sound very much the same and they may often make we often make our appeal on the same ground of God's love for his children and why because well it's our right as as children of God it's, it's part of our heritage to be able to call upon the Lord in prayer in fact we are uh, instructed to do so. We are called upon to pray, to make uh, prayers of supplications, where we supplicate the Lord for our personal needs, or where we intercede to the Lord on the behalf of others, or where we bring certain prayers of petition. Uh, we're called upon to do those things. And so what Mary and Martha was doing was not out of the ordinary uh, because they believed that he was truly the Son of God. Now, we need to also realize that God uses all of these situations for his own glory. 
And so when sickness enters our homes, we are not to conclude that God is displeased with us. We are not to simply, out of, out of hand, say rather that somehow God is uh, angry with us. Um, God uses the circumstances that arise for his own purpose. And we see that in, in, very, in very much in particular here, that God does that here. Um, he could have come much more quickly. He could have raised Lazarus. Perhaps we may would even say, well, he could have just spoke the word and Lazarus would have been healed right where he was, right from where Jesus was in Perea. He didn't even have to travel to Bethany. As uh, in the case of the, of the nobleman's son, who was at home sick, and the nobleman came to him, and uh, Jesus was appealed to that he might go and heal the son of the nobleman, but he didn't go. He just spoke the word, and he told the nobleman to go home, that his son was okay, he'd be okay. And he was truly healed. And so God has a purpose in the things that he does, and it is... Uh, of course, it is often difficult for us to see that. Now, we often quote the passage, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruits of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby, Hebrews 12:11. And I think sometimes we just take that negatively. We sometimes apply that by implication saying, I've done something wrong, the Lord is going to slap me down for it. When in fact chastening may not be um, as negative as we might think. It may be that he is simply trying to teach us something. Such as in this particular case. Mary and Martha and the disciples, they would be taught a very valuable lesson about the Messiah. They would be witnessing such events that only the Messiah could do. And isn't it true that in our lives, when we see God do great things, that we sit back and we say, praise God for what he has done, because only God could do this. And so, just as they also would be witness to of the grace of God, the miracle-working grace of God, we are often witness to of the miracle working grace of God as we pray. And so this idea of chastening, because God loves us, yes, it can be uh, applied to our lives because of a negative situation, but it may not be a negative situation all of the times. It may be that the Lord just is using the circumstance or trial or particular thing that is going on that we might acknowledge him and realize of the greatness of his glory which he wants to demonstrate to us. And so all these events would prove the test and test the faith of Mary, Martha and the other disciples. It is true that Jesus had a greater purpose 
the making than, than the preserving of the mortal life of Lazarus. I'll just say that one more time. It is true that Jesus had a greater purpose as making himself known as Messiah than simply preserving, preserving the mortal life of Lazarus. He had a greater purpose. And so the trials and the testings and so forth, which we often encounter, um, perhaps we should look at that dimension, that God has a greater purpose than simply healing or meeting the need or coming to our rescue or immediately um, supernaturally changing the circumstances. God might have a greater purpose than, than our, our particular viewpoint, as he did in this particular case, too. Uh, so secondly, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified. This is, of course, the, the high point, the high ground. This is, this is the, the thing that stands above everything else concerning why God was demonstrating his glory in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, of course, that is, the, that is often the, the, the high ground we don't see. And what I mean by that is that being of a human nature and a fallen nature as it is, and our personal viewpoint of things, we don't often see the greater purpose of God in the things that he is doing. That isn't our immediate thought when there is some trial or testing or, or suffering going on. We don't often see the greater purpose of God. That isn't the first thing we think about, you see. Um, but as we look at this particular case, um, that is exactly what God was doing. He was doing the greater thing. And the greater thing was that his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be glorified. That this, this was going to be to the glory of God. And so the death of Lazarus had a higher purpose than the preservation of his mortal life. It was to impress upon them that eternal life is through Christ. And, of course, God himself would glorify the Lord Jesus Christ even in the death of the cross. That is the very reason he came into the world. And so he was to be glorified through that very event. And that eternal life would be made known not only unto Mary and Martha and Lazarus, but unto all the disciples. And to every believer since then, to all those saints who died in the Old Testament, to all those New Testament saints who have come to faith in generations gone by, and to those Christians in this generation in which we live, and to those generations which are yet to come, God will be glorified in all because of the cross of Christ. Lazarus was well on his way in the right direction, for he was truly, surely counted as one of the elect, not for any merit of his own, but by the agapeo love 
for him. Now see, that's why I wanted to bring out that difference in wording there. There was the phileo love, the family brotherly love that was demonstrated, but then the agapeo love was altogether different. It is of the highest order. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were, and we can say with all assurance, they were part of the elect of God, as we like to apply that word. And, and so we recognize that, that um, God was using his, uh, his children, if you will, if we might apply that term. Uh, he was using his children to demonstrate his great love, not only for them, but for, uh, to glorify his son. Yes, Lazarus was a saint before the cross, so he was being saved by looking forward by faith every bit as much as Noah, Job, or Abraham. To say anything different would be inconsistent with the Old Testament view of what faith was all about. Because Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness sake. Because Noah found grace in, this, in, the, in the eyes of God. And God was commissioned and ordained to build an ark to the saving of his family. And Job was a righteous man who eschewed evil. And even though he went through great trial and suffering, at the end of his trial and suffering, all was restored unto him. His family, his possessions, his reputation as being a true Old Testament saint who believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness' sake. None of these earned their righteousness by any means, but by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find that Mary and Martha and Lazarus didn't earn their righteousness any other way. They earned it by faith. They believed that Jesus was the true Messiah of God. And they were walking in that direction, believing and trusting Him. They were being saved, present, active, and uh, extending yet into the future, waiting for the full fruition of what it meant to be glorified with the Lord Jesus Christ. Even as we are, we like to say we are saved right now. Well, we are, but yet at the same time, we are being saved as we walk by faith and trust in Him. Not because we are exercising our works and works of salvation, but because we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and we believe that He is our righteousness, and we believe, looking forward in faith, Christ Himself not only saved us in the past, He will yet bring us to the full salvation and glorification of our salvation yet in the future. We find that there are two deaths. The second death is graphically depicted in the following verses. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, 
and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so we find that uh, there is a kind of a proverb, you might say. If we are born once, we will die twice. If we are born twice, we will die but once. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha would know what that meant through the Messiah of God. To be born again of God in this life means that you won't have to suffer a second death. Lazarus would be raised eventually, physically. He would have to die, as you might say, again, but only a physical death, but not the spiritual death and separation from God that it talks about in Revelation 20. That second death is one which is unto damnation. So Jesus explains to his disciples that the Father's purpose could not be overthrown by those who wanted to stone him. Um, I have to read on a bit further here in this passage now. Um, let's begin at verse um, five, first 6. Oh, when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go unto Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. So he uses somewhat of a proverb here um, in verses 7 through 11 here. Adam Clark makes this explanation. He says, Our Lord alludes to the case of a traveler who has to walk the whole day. The day points out to the time of life, the night that of death. He has already used the same mode of speech in John 9, 4. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Here he refers to what the apostles had just said. The Jews but now going were now but going to stone him, they thought. Are there not, said he, twelve hours in the day? Have I not traveled these twelve hours, yet my last hour is not yet come? And the Jews, with all their malice and hatred, shall not be able to bring it a moment sooner than God has purposed. I am immortal till my work is done, and this that I am now going to Bethany to perform is a part of it. When all is completed, then their hour and that of the power of darkness shall commence, uh, according to Adam Clark in his comment. In other words, the spiritual meaning here of the Lord's words is as follows. 
the Lord Jesus was walking in perfect obedience to the will of God. There was thus no danger of his being killed before the appointed time. He would be preserved until his work was done. The disciples didn't quite understand that as well. And so in a sense, this is true of every believer. If we are walking in fellowship with the Lord and doing his will, there is no power on earth that can kill us before God's appointed time. And why do I say that? Well, I'll use the example of an evangelist that used to, I suppose, tread these same roads as we see here today. His name was Benjamin Randall. And of course, probably Brian knows all about the history of Benjamin Randall in New Durham. And he was a famous evangelist of some uh, caliber, for sure. And uh, he is credited with the founding of the Free Will Baptist Connection and lived in or around New Durham, New Hampshire, was saved under George Whitefield, or Whitfield, however you prefer to pronounce it, and is credited with founding the Free Will Baptist denomination of churches in New England. He lived by the old motto, quote, the preacher is immortal until his work on earth is done, unquote. This is the essence of what Jesus was communicating to his disciples, that those who wanted to capture him and kill him could do nothing until the appointed hour, that the will and purpose of God be fulfilled concerning his death on the cross. The death of Lazarus had a higher purpose. It was but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. And so this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God, and it does say Son of God, might be glorified. Might be glorified. Um, And so we find that... uh, for our lives and the lives of any who would call themselves Christians and would truly know that they are disciples of Christ and want to serve the Lord, uh, we should realize that God has our life marked out for him and for his glory and that God will continue to use us as he designs to do until that time when he wishes to take us home to be with him. We often use a a comment such as, well, I guess the Lord is not through with me yet, when we have a difficult time and we find ourselves surviving, uh, or continuing on. But um, that particular proverb is somewhat lacking, perhaps, because many might use that, as you might have heard many unsaved people do say the same thing. But Jesus was affirming an eternal truth concerning him and the purpose of God for his life. And we can affirm the same eternal truth that God preserves his own, that God protects his own, that God blesses his own, that God glorifies himself through his own people, that God means for us to continue faithfully with, this, with the most assured faith 
that we will continue until the appropriate time when God should call us to be with him. Because that is part of God's eternal purpose for his true believers, for his true disciples. So every Christian is ordained of God to serve the Lord unto good works. And I use the phrase specifically, ordained of God. Because when you read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it is followed by verse 10, which says that we are ordained unto good works as believers. Ordained. And so it is that uh, as we realize this, it should give you more confidence than ever to continue to serve the Lord as you should. To realize that the same Lord who called you unto salvation will perform his good work in you until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in the clouds. Also we are reminded that by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ's greater riches and the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. And also we can say of Moses, he said that because of this. He knew that he was ordained of God to do something more than simply sit in Pharaoh's chair and to enjoy somebody bringing his, his wine cup. Yes, he, he was going to be used as a deliverer for his people. Moses would be a type of Christ to deliver his people out of Egypt and out of bondage. And that the Passover would be um, a signature event that would take place that that deliverance would be made known. And as we know, the Passover in the Old Testament is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. The shedding of that lamb and the blood being put upon the doorpost and upon the lintel signified to the death angel that God sent over the land that that home was under the blood of Christ. And even today, we know that we are ordained of God and that we are called of God because of the blood of Christ. Because Christ's blood has been shed for us. Because it is upon our door and upon our lintel. Because Christ has put it there for us. He is our righteousness. He suffered and died for our sins. Lastly, we see here, and I'll try to uh, do this fairly quickly. I know I'm out of time. Uh, thirdly, Lazarus is asleep, and I will go and wake him. So um, he calls him friend, and he says, Lazarus sleepeth, but I will go and awake him out of sleep. And so at this particular time, the disciples uh, really didn't understand the full meaning. Verse 11, these things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. 
Now when the, the disciples uh, spoke about Lazarus sleeping, they used a different word. They used a word which simply meant sleep, as one might be in repose and sleep. But when Jesus talked about sleep concerning Lazarus, it is a different word altogether. It is the word thanatos. And the word thanatos, I believe, always means death. And actually, because Jesus spoke about sleep in the way he does here in reference to Lazarus, we find there are many usages of it, meaning death, in the New Testament. Um, For the true disciple of Christ, death is a repose where he shall awake unto eternal life. That's what we understand about death for the believer. I'll say that one more time. For the true disciple of Christ, death is a repose which we shall awaken unto eternal life. The disciples thought Lazarus was in slumber, and the word is exupnizo, and uh, it just means slumber. And that's how they refer to it in what they say concerning Lazarus. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Jesus said plainly that he was dead. Verse 13, Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, this is the word, exupnizo, it shall do well. He shall do well. They simply mean, they, they think he is asleep. However, Jesus spoke of his death, and Jesus says so right here, or rather John says so concerning the words of Jesus, but they thought that he had spoken of rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Thanatos. Lazarus is dead. He's not just exupnizo. He's dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent he may believe, nevertheless, let us go unto him. And I was glad that I was not there to the intent that ye may believe. Now that should speak volumes to us, you see. And so we find that uh, this idea here of one sleeping in relationship to Lazarus. Jesus is talking about death. We find there are all kinds of references to the sleep of the Christian in the New Testament. Walwood states this. Jesus then said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. The word friend has special significance in the scripture. We find in John chapter 15, we are called friends. Uh, in John chapter 15, also in James 2.23 is another reference to friend. But greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called 
the friend of God. Well, my point here being that um, when Jesus says, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, there is a greater implication here of what this word friend meant when he spoke of Lazarus. Abraham believed God and he was a friend of God. And, and we find that we also, in John chapter 15, are, are called friend, friends. And so we, there is an intimate relationship going on here between, between God and those who are his friends. It is a, not only the family relationship that is talking about a filial relationship, but there is truly an agapeo relationship. Also we read, as Walwood continues in his comment, this sleep is the sleep of death. Since the coming of Christ, the death of a believer is regularly called sleep. And you could refer to Acts 760, 1 Corinthians 1520, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Um, reading part of those verses, let me just read this. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. <laughs> In other words, he died. The word sleep being used for death as, as far as Stephen was concerned, a Christian. Uh, also in, uh, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 and 22, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And so we find that concerning those who sleep in Jesus, who have died in Jesus, they will one day be made alive again. The usage of the word sleep. And then lastly, he said, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. And this, of course, is the First Thessalonian passage that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Those who have died in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep or dead in Christ. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Well, I guess maybe the last phrase is a good phrase to hold on to. Lazarus was not just slumbering. He was dead. He was a friend of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was uh, covered by God's agapeo love. And we find a continuation of the uh, usage of this word sleep concerning believers 
is in the New Testament, we also may be well assured if we sleep in Jesus, he will raise us again, even as he would raise up Lazarus to a mortal life. But moreover, he would also be raised as an Old Testament saint later. Yes, Lazarus was dead. He was asleep. But Jesus said he would rise again. A few closing comments. Dead Christians are asleep, not in the, sen- in the sense of an unconscious soul sleep. Um, there's groups that believe in soul sleep. That is not the stand that I take, or Pastor Ball, I'm sure. But in the sense that their bodies appear to be sleeping. Um, the world has even picked up the RIP, rest in peace, kind of thing, you know, they always put that on a gravestone or some kind of a caricature concerning somebody who has died. Rest in peace. As if they were in repose. As if they were somehow asleep. The world doesn't know what it says. It just says things. It doesn't know what it does. It just does things. It acts out of whim and out of a, a kind of a sentimentality. As Christians, we, we are not to take on such frivolous actions or thoughts or ideas. We are to know what we believe and why we believe it. Because it is, true, it is what our true faith is built upon. Uh, and so we find the disciples wrongly assumed that Jesus meant Lazarus had not died, um, but was sleeping physically, and, um, and was on his way to, re- to recover him from his, from his slumber. Um, again, Walbert comments, quote, as, we often, as was often the case in the Gospels, Jesus was speaking about one thing, but his disciples were thinking about another. The words of Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes I am glad I was not there seem shocking at first. But if Lazarus had not died, the disciples and the readers of all ages would not have had this unique opportunity to have their faith quickened or made alive. Lazarus dead was so that you and I may believe. And notice what it says in verse 15. I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that ye may believe. That ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Jesus had a purpose in everything he was doing. As believers, we ought to have the same purpose. We ought to have the same confidence of our faith to know what we are doing and why we are doing it that we should not go through some mundane routine, routine thing and not have a good sound reason for doing what we do. And so let us remember, let us remember that God might be glorified. The greater and higher goal of the Christian life is to glorify God. But that God might be glorified. And that is why many consider that perhaps this last sign miracle of Christ was one of the greatest before his death on the cross. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for your word to us. Thank you, Father, that you minister to us according to your word and by your Holy Spirit. And there are things that we truly can know and build our life upon as believers and know that God means 
for us to truly glorify him. In Jesus' name, amen.